Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Chapter 17, The Legend of St. Alban. The legend of the craft now goes on to tell of the history of the bringing of Freemasonry into England in the time of St. Alban, who lived in the 3rd century. The legend referring to the first martyr of England is not mentioned in the Hallowell poem, but is first found in the Cook manuscript in the following words, And soon after that comes St. Adabel into England, and he converted St. Alban to Christendom. And St. Alban loved well Masons, and he gave him first her charges and manners first in England, and he ordained convenient to pay for their travel. And there's a couple of footnotes here I do want to share. Cook translates this words, and the word is convenient. Cook translates this words into convenient times, supplying a second word. But a better choice is suitable or proper, which is an old meaning of convenient. He ordained suitable pay for their labor, and this agrees with the later manuscripts, which impress the fact that St. Alban made their pay right good. Later manuscripts for some time say nothing of St. Adabel. When we get to the Krauss manuscript in the beginning of the 18th century, we find mention of St. Amphibolus, who is said in that document to have been the teacher of St. Alban. But this St. Amphibolus, of which the Adabal of the Cook manuscript is seemingly an error of spelling, is so doubtful a person that we may rejoice that the later copyists have not as a rule thought proper to follow the Cook document and give him a place in the legend. However, the name is not entirely mythical, as we find it in the writings of Robert of Monmouth, 1140, as well as, for example, in the William Watson manuscript, 1687. As a matter of fact, Amphibolum was the Latin name of a cloak worn by priests of the French Roman Catholic Church over their other clothes. It was a garment that somehow became altered into a saint, as the handkerchief on which Christ left the image of his face when, as it is said, it was handed to him on his way to Calvary by a pious Jewish, became from the Greco-Latin vera icon, the true image, converted into Saint Veronica. The Masonic writers of old are not the only legendists who draw deeply on our powers of belief. Church history furnishes only the following few details of St. Alban, and even of these some are doubtful, or at least lack the stamp of acceptance by the authorities. He was born, so runs a tradition, in the 3rd century in Hertfordshire, England, near the town of Verulanium. Going to Rome, he served for seven years as a soldier under the Emperor Diocletian, he then returned with a companion and teacher, Amphibolus, to Britain and betook himself to Verulanium. When the persecutions of the Christians began in Britain, Amphibolus was sought for as one who had become converted to the new religion. But as he could not be found, St. Alban voluntarily presented himself in the other's place before the judge, and after undergoing torture was imprisoned. Soon after this, the hiding place of Amphibolus having been discovered, both he and St. Alban suffered death for being Christians. Four centuries after this occurred, Offa, king of the Mercians, erected a monastery at Holmhurst, the hill where he was buried, 
and soon after the town of St. Albans rose in its vicinity. When the Christian religion became powerful in England, the church paid great honors to the memory of the first martyr. A chapel was erected over his grave, which, according to the Venerable Bede, was of admirable workmanship. The Masonic legend contains details that are not furnished by the one coming to us from the church. According to it, St. Alban was the steward of the household of Carousius, he who had revolted from the ex-emperor Maximilian and taken over the government of England. Carousius employed him in building the town walls. St. Alban, thus having the control of the craft, treated them with great kindness, increased their pay, and gave them a charter to hold general meetings. He assisted them in making masons, and framed for them a constitution, for such is the meaning of the phrase, gave them charges. There is sufficient historical evidence to show that architecture was brought into England by the Roman workmen, who followed, as was their custom, the soldiers of the empire, made themselves at home in the conquered countries, and engaged in the construction not only of camps and forts, but also when peace was restored, they began the building of temples and even of private structures. Architectural ruins and Latin inscriptions, which still remain in many parts of Britain, show the laborers and the skill of these Roman workmen and architects. They sustain the claim of the legend that masonry, which it must be remembered is in the old records only another name for architecture, was brought into England during the time when it was first taken over by the Roman Empire. Examining further the particular claims that St. Alban was the patron of Freemasons, that he exercised the government of a chief over the craft, and improved their condition by increasing their wages, we may explain this as the expression of a symbolical idea, in which the story is not made of misleading falsehoods, but its dates and personages are merely used for other than strictly historical purposes. Carousius, the legend does not mention by name. It simply refers to some king of England, of whose household St. Alban was the steward. Carousius assumed the government in the year in which St. Alban suffered death. The error of making him the patron of St. Alban is not, therefore, to be blamed upon the legendist, but upon Dr. Anderson, who made this mixture of history in the second edition of his Constitutions. Although he states that this is asserted by all the old copies of the Constitutions, we fail to find in it any that are now in existence, and Anderson himself says nothing about it in his own first edition. This legend of St. Alban, as it has been called, is worthy of further study. The foundation of this story was first laid by the writer of the Cook manuscript, or rather, copied by him from the tradition existing among the craft of the time. Its form was altered later on, and the details extended in the Dowland manuscript. Tradition always grows in the progress of time. This form and these details were preserved in all the following manuscript constitutions until they were still further altered and enlarged by Anderson, Preston, and other Masonic writers of the 18th century. The liberal editions of these later writers have no concern for us in any attempted explanation of the actual meaning of the legend. Its true form and spirit are to be found only in the Dowland manuscript of the middle of the 16th century, and in those which were copied from it up to the Papworth in the 18th century. To these, and not to anything written after the period of the revival, 1717, we must direct our attention. Excepting that on the conquest of England by the Roman power, the architects who had come with the victorious soldiers brought into the defeated country their skill in Freemasonry, it is very likely that some master workmen among them had been more noted than others for their skill, and, indeed, it is naturally to be supposed that to such skillful builders the control of the craft must have been given. Whether there were one or more of these chief architects, St. Alban, if not actually one of them, was by the lapse of time and the not unusual process by which legends or gossip are added onto a plain historical fact, 
adopted by the legendists as their chief and master. Who was the principal patron of the architects or Freemasons during the time when England was governed by the Romans is not so material as is the fact that architecture, with other branches of the arts of civilization, was introduced at that period into the island by its conquerors. This is a historical fact. The legend of the craft agrees at this point with authentic history. It is also a historical fact that when, by the pressure of the northern host of enemies upon Rome, it was found necessary to withdraw all the soldiers of the Roman Empire from the various colonies which they had defended against foes without and held as their own against rebellion within, the arts and sciences, and among them architecture, began to decay in England. The natives, with the few Roman colonists who had settled among them, were left to defend themselves from the attacks of the Picts on the north and the Danish and Saxon pirates in the east and south. The arts of civilization suffered a depression in the noisy fury of war. Science cannot flourish amid the clang and clash of arms. This decline of all architectural progress in England continued for some centuries and is thus told to us in the quaint style of the legend. Right soon after the decease of St. Alban, there came diverse war into the realm of England of diverse nations, so that the good rule of masonry was destroyed into the time of King Athelstone's days. There is far more of history than of fiction in this part of the legend. A very interesting point of the legend of the craft, to which our attention may be directed, is that referring to the organization of Freemasonry at the city of York in the 10th century. This part of the legend is of much importance. The prehistorical here verges so closely upon the historical period that the true account of the rise and progress of Freemasonry cannot be justly understood until each of these elements has been carefully attached to its proper period. This subject will therefore get critical attention. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.